Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly. Uh, this is Steve um, coming with you, uh, with with Brett, um, and and we are here to 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 talk about the Big Ten. We are uh, effectively through the third full week of of conference play, and you know we are, I guess, for lack of better terms, starting to see some things. Um, Brett, how have you been this last week? I have been been good. Um, yeah, like you said, been been a been an interesting week. Uh, I feel like as most are. I believe there are currently five different teams that are sitting at three and three in the conference standings. Uh, and the variability from from two to twelve is basically anyone's guess at this point. So you probably have just as good odds of winning the lottery as as predicting how teams are going to finish at this point. But uh, I'm excited to excited to break it down. Right. And you know, I think just the, the backdrop for this week, but kind of b- before we get into it. So what I'm starting to notice is that teams are going through hot stretches and teams are going through cold stretches. And all of those storylines sort of are, are prone to shift dramatically from week to week. Right. Um, we're going to talk about an Iowa team later that looked dead to rights about two weeks ago, but now they're arguably the hottest team in the conference. Um, and it's like, you know, teams have looked left for dead and have, have come back to life. Um, and, and we're going to try to take you through all that. But it, I think it just speaks to your your point, the variability of the, the conference this year. We're going to try to avoid giving you hot takes or over rotating when it comes to just like what we're looking at in the given week. But I mean, I, I think that's going to come to be emblematic of, of the conference as a as a whole is that teams are going to go on kind of these hot streaks and cold streaks. And we, we hope it doesn't all jumble up into the end of uh, uh, all 14 teams finishing 10 and 10 in conference play, but we can't guarantee you anything. With that being said, let, let's start at the top this week. So as I said, we're, we're starting to kind of see some separation um, amongst different groups of teams at the conference. Uh, but, but the one constant really since the season tipped off this year has been the Purdue Boilermakers. They're, you know, they're, they're sitting 16 and one overall, five and one in the conference, uh, alone in first place um, at this point. Most teams have played six games. Um, not, not a hugely notable week this week. They, they beat Nebraska at home. But I'll, I'll put this to you pretty simply, Brett, to start us off here. It, it, is, is Purdue better than everyone else in the conference? Have they separated themselves and are they in a tier by themselves at the top? That's an interesting question, and I feel like my initial response is yes and no, but I think I, I need you know you I have to take a hard stance here, uh, and uh, I'm gonna go with yes. I think that Zach Eady is obviously Zach Eady. We've talked about that. We've talked about him ad nauseum. He's a National Player of the Year candidate, if not front runner at this point in the season, and I I feel like every time we expect to see even just a little bit of like freshman mistakes uh, from from guys that are getting a lot of minutes like Fletcher Lawyer and Braden Smith, they're really not coming. I mean, lawyers, Lawyer shot the lights out. He hit six threes against Nebraska. But I think the biggest thing that I drew from this game, and even though like Purdue didn't, or Purdue, Nebraska didn't have Sam Grisell playing, but, you know, Nebraska was really kind of able to slow Purdue down in that first matchup. And, and it really is a game that came down to the wire. And there was absolutely nothing like that this time around. So Purdue made the adjustments and, and was able to get their shooting back and played great defense. Um, even though Derek Walker had a, had a pretty good game uh, inside, but it's not only that they're just offense and defensive levels are so high. It's just that Purdue is very consistently playing good basketball. And I think that's something that every other team in this 
in this conference has lacked so far. I think the only real knock you can say about Purdue is just their their schedule and conference play to this point. I mean, they played four of their six games at home, uh, you know, and they, they played Minnesota, they played Nebraska twice. They had Penn State at home, Rutgers at home at Ohio State. So it, it, it's not like they, they their their schedule is definitely not front loaded. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I I would agree. Just you know, the the product on the court passes the eye test. Um, but I think you know, and we'll get to this question probably later in the season. But you know, what this is going to lead to ask is, is this Purdue team? you know, for real and one that can win when it matters in March. And I think that's where the narrative around this team is going to shift to. They, they may win the, the conference regular season title. They may not, but um, it, it, Purdue's developing a reputation for falling short of expectations in March. And um, frankly, if that's where the conversation leads us in a month from now, it means their regular season probably in pretty good hands. Um, all right. So let's shift gears to kind of the roller coaster of a week that we saw. So, um, Illinois, after seemingly left for dead um, in December and early January, went 2-0 this week. Um, they've now won three in a row in conference. They got a big road win at Nebraska where they looked dominant and a big home comeback win against the Michigan State Spartans, who looked like they were starting to prove that they, you know, at least make the case that they were, are the best team in the conference. You know, we, we know there's been some drama with Illinois with, you know, their their point guard, their starting point guard, Sky Clark, no longer with the team. But they look like they're playing freer and they look like they figured it out um, under Brad Underwood. It looked to be a dangerous team. What are you seeing about from this Illinois team that that's different from what, you know, we'd seen in their early part of the season? I mean, it starts with just and there's no way to quantify this, but it starts just by watching them play and watching their body language. I think. You look at the games they dropped, especially the, in the Penn State loss, and it just looked in the Northwestern loss, and they looked like they really didn't want to be out there. So I don't, I don't know what Brad Underwood said to these guys over the last couple of weeks, but it appears to be working. Um, and again, I think we're seeing a little bit more consistency from Coleman Hawkins, um, and then obviously Shannon and, and Meyer are, are really stepping up and, and kind of, it. You know, I think I think there were some some team chemistry questions just with transfers and freshmen. And I think it all has started to sort of settle. So I think they're just getting used to playing with each other and making sure that, you know, the offensive execution is there. They're, they're not turning the ball over that much. They only had five turnovers against a Michigan state team that plays some really strong defense. And I think on, on the, another interesting note is that Michigan state only had four total assists on that game. Uh, and you know, AJ Haggard has developed a, a reputation for being a really, really good pass first point guard. And it, it kind of works with how they, they play. And so when they stop him from, getting into the paint and looking to distribute, um, you know, he, he took 16 shots that game and that's, that's not how Michigan state is at their best. So I think, I think with Illinois, it comes back to just buying in more to, to whatever system they have. And, and the, the transfers are really starting to make their impacts felt now. Yeah. And I, I think just the other thing too, you know, there's been a lot of talk this off season about Brad Underwood finally having a roster, being able to play his style of basketball. They had, they had 10 blocks against Michigan state, which I think is just a, testament to like the chaotic way that they want to play. Um, and I, 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 you know, it did a little bit better, I think in, in transition to just spearheading that, that comeback. And so Illinois is looking more like the team. I think we thought they would look like at the start of the season when we saw the roster assembled the way it was um, want to now talk about Michigan state a little bit and also kind of talk about Wisconsin in the same context too. So 
Uh, Michigan State came into that Illinois game on a seven-game winning streak. Um, the the and, and in the game prior to that Illinois game, they got a really, really impressive win in Madison against a, Wake, a ranked Wisconsin team to extend that winning streak to seven games. Now, albeit Wisconsin, you know, was, was not playing with Tyler Wall, but um, I mean, this, so I think kind of, let's talk about two angles of this. So A, on the Michigan State side, so I, a little bit of a bummer that, uh, you know, they lost that game to Illinois, but I think all in all, taking on two tough teams in road environments, going one up, one and one for them, probably a pretty good week. On the flip side, it was Wisconsin. Uh, they drop that game at home to Michigan State, and then they lose. They get blown out of Bloomington by the Hoosiers. Kind of feels like Wisconsin and Illinois certainly going in different directions, but even Wisconsin and Michigan State, you know, going in different directions too. First off, what did you see in that Wisconsin-Michigan State game? And then what are your thoughts generally on Wisconsin coming off a, a, a two-loss week this week? Yeah, so with Wisconsin now, obviously three game losing streak. And the the main thing is that Tyler Wall was was absent from from all of those games. And I think I think that his absence definitely I mean was felt the biggest felt the most in that Michigan State game where it down the stretch it was pretty much a couple key defensive breakdowns. The the Spartans, I believe, hit their last nine shots uh in that in that game against Wisconsin. So it was, you know, uh, just kind of unable to I mean the guy, the basically Wisconsin's throwing out Carter Gilmore there, and he's playing 30 minutes a game, and he's a former walk-on that no team respects offensively. So you can be in the right places and and you know position yourself well, but if you if you can't you if you can't play offense and and confidently shoot, score the ball, it's going to have issues. And we talked about this with Wisconsin at the at the very beginning of the year, and the whole point was they have very little front court depth. So with, with Tyler wall going down with, with a, what appears to just be a badly sprained ankle, uh, it, it really kind of affects. And we saw the same thing with Michigan state really when Malik Hall was down, that's when they suffered, suffered a couple losses, um, without him, but that lets the backups get some more experience. And we saw, you know, Malik Hall is coming, still coming off the bench, but has his play is elevates the Spartans team. And, you know, you saw that and that, gives the rest of the team confidence. So Joey Hauser had 20 points against, against Wisconsin. Uh, and, and, you know, they got to the line very frequently so that it seems like Malik Hall coming back has really, um, breathed a new, a new, uh, like a second wind of sorts into, into this team. And so I think, you know, Wisconsin's not a team that will have many losing streaks like this when they have a fully healthy team. Um, and you know, Connor Siegen's still playing really well off the bench. Marcus Silver's been getting more minutes, but, they they need Tyler Wall back in a in a very bad way if this team wants to you know assert itself effectively throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, could 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 not agree more. I think um, just given Wisconsin's depth, you could argue. I mean, I, I don't know. You could argue that. I mean, I know there's a lot of all conference you know players playing important minutes on a lot of teams, but I mean, he might be the most important at least front court guy critical to their team's success, or at least one of the most important um, in the conference. I know that, you know, Trace Daxon Davis and Zach Eady and, you know, Hunter Dickinson, all that matter, are also very important to their teams. But we're, we're seeing, you know, what happens to Wisconsin when they lose kind of a vital piece like that. Um, shifting gears now to the Hoosiers. So um, I, I think it, very key for them to get that win um, against Wisconsin. You know, they were ahead <laughs> – I think one and four in conference at the time. So they were kind of in danger of falling too much into the cellar really to be able to, um, 
you know, to, to uh, kind of make a, make a run after that. They got dominated by the Nittany Lions um, in State College earlier this week. So all the more reason I think they, they needed to get that win. We know Indiana's dealing with injuries, too. So I think that sort of explains, you know, maybe why they've, they've started a little bit slower. Um, but Penn State had that one game this week. I mean, are are we at the point with this Penn State State team where they're like a legitimate tournament team that, you know, I think, you know, will continue to kind of linger near the upper quartile of the the Big Ten standings throughout the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the evidence has overwhelmingly shown that that Penn State is is legit. Um, you know, I think I think tournament I think making the tournament is a reasonable a reasonable goal for them at this point. I think once you get there, they're very matchup dependent. We saw that with the Michigan game. We saw that with the Purdue game where they don't have front the front court. They just don't. And and it's a it's a bummer, but that's that's the reality. And you know, Keba Keba Ng will get there, I think, but he's still a freshman, and they still you know don't have John Harrer anymore. So their guard play has been excellent. And again, Ng is solid, but he's not big really. I mean, he, he's 6'10", 230, and that's just, you know, that's not going to get it done against guys like Hunter Dickinson or Edie. And we're seeing that. We're seeing teams with big front courts really, really be able to dominate in that, in that front court. But with that being said, there's a lot of teams that don't have that. And I think that they have enough shooting to overcome you know, a lot of a lot of Big Ten games. So either they're still top 15 in the country or top 10 in the country in uh, three point percentage and they're converting enough twos and they still play good defense. So I think, you know, especially and you know, Indiana opinions can vary, but that was a very, very dominant win that they that they got and really kind of needed to sort of write to write the ship. Yeah, they and, and it, it really is just the shooting that's so I think. Impre- been been impressive from that. I mean, in that Indiana game, they had two guys make seven three. They had two different guys make seven threes in that game. They shot fifty eight percent from three point. Like it just and and um like I know we talk about how a lot of it's one on one and um and 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 just like they've they've got a they're not a particularly deep team and they just they have a couple playmakers that are really good in one on one. But like it's at the point where like yeah. It's not like last year where they're shooting, you know, 30 percent in in these games and taking a lot of bad shots. I mean, they're shooting in the upper 40s um, or even as in the case in this game, you know, in the mid 50s, um, you know, and and winning in dominant fashion, particularly at home. So, uh, well, yeah, we'll we'll see. uh, We'll see where they continue to land themselves. But Penn State very much in the mix. Um, Okay. Let's stick in the uh, east side of the conference for now. So um, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights currently sitting at five and two, a half a game behind Purdue for first place. They had a big um, two win week this week, getting getting a close win um, in Evanston to sort of um, they, they they blew a big lead against Northwestern down the stretch um, and then retook it behind yet again another big shot from Cam Spencer um, and then they beat uh, uh, an Ohio State team that's kind of trending in the wrong direction um, at the rack in overtime today um, you know there, there's a lot of things to like about this Rutgers team but to me the the key to actually their success this year seems to be how much Cam Spencer is really opening up their offense 
Um, wh- where do you fall on just what's been the key to Rutgers' success in conference play this season, especially after a, a not so hot start uh, in the non-conference play? So I, I, you have to start with injuries and just getting everyone healthy, getting McConnell and Mulcahy back really, you know, turn this season around and not, not you, you know, we, you knew they were going to come back and be, be effective, but they've really, and we talked about them a lot last week with the Purdue win too. Like there's really a lot to like uh, about this Rutgers team. And I think this is the kind of team I feel like that, you know, when, when everyone's talking in the preseason about continuity, 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 no one's really talking about Rutgers and that can be for whatever reason, maybe because they also lost their two, like two of their, you know, three, four best players, but they still have a lot of guys that are, you know, have experience and experience playing together. Uh, and then you bring in an experienced transfer like Cam Spencer and, and he's kind of the last thing you, you need because you have your playmaking guard in in Mulcahy, you have McConnell as your defender and you have Omari as a, as a top tier big um, and getting him, getting him more involved in the offense has also really opened things up. He's such an aerial threat, uh, especially on the pick and roll. He can really play above the rim and, and give some of these other bigs, fits with with his athleticism and, and scoring touch around the rim while also being an excellent rim protector. So I think it's just a, a real big it's a big combination of guys that know the system, guys that can execute the system and bringing in one or two extra pieces that that kind of seal the deal for, to make it a complete team. Yeah, so we will I think, continue to monitor Rutgers. They've they've got a, a They've got a tough test um, in, in their next game late next week, which we'll talk about later. But um, I think the, the one thing about this defense is you know that it travels. Um, you know, and they, they, they proved that at Purdue. They proved that by beating Northwestern. Um, and, and finding their way with some of these hidden offensive weapons that, you know, either they, they didn't have at the beginning of the year because of injury or they just needed to acclimate correctly. I mean, um, they, they haven't had a shooter, I think, or just a, um, someone like Cam Spencer, I feel like in, in a while who's, who's, who's been making big shots for them. You could argue without him. I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's probably responsible for big shots and two or three of their wins this year. So, um, kudos to him that he keeps doing that. Um, a, a few other things before we'll move to sort of our preview. So want to note Ohio state. So, um, at, before that Rutgers lost in overtime at the rack, which isn't kind of a bad loss on paper, they have what I would call maybe the worst loss of a, a team in conference this year, losing to Minnesota at home. Um, we had kind of preached that Ohio State looked very consistent and balanced um, kind of in the non-conference play. They had a couple of good wins, but that has not carried over at all in the conference play. And, you know, they're kind of the, the bad losses and such are, are piling up there. They're third from the, the bottom in the conference, sitting at two and four right now. Um, what, what do you make of the Buckeyes? It's it's really wild that they have seven losses and are the 17th best team on Ken Palm. Like that's 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 how crazy their season has been. Um, and all these losses are within, for the most part, besides the Maryland loss um, last week within five points, you know? Um, and so there, that, that goes to show that they're, they're almost there, but it's a team that's relying a lot on two freshmen to make plays down the stretch. And it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, and Bryce Sensabaugh is still an absolute stud and he's going to be a a lottery pick. I'm, I'm assuming, but it's just, 
late game execution gets to be a lot in kind of the grind of the conference schedule. Um, obviously having key out for a few games didn't help matters. Um, but it, it's weird where it's like they should have won a couple of these games and I would be upset if I was an Ohio state fan. Uh, but I, you know, late game execution has not been great, but I, I, I don't really think I'm like, I'm worried that much. The defense obviously needs to get better. Um, they're sitting just inside the top hundred in, in defense, but I mean, they're still really dangerous in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think, I think I generally agree with that. You, you know, we'll see if these close losses sort of, if there's some mean reversion um, as the season plays out, although they, they were not ready for, you know, Minnesota, which was like one of the worst power five teams in the country. I mean, and I think we should say kudos to, you know, Ben Johnson, but he's got those guys fighting and, um, and, you know, well-earned road win, you know, going in there in the middle of the week. Uh, but yeah, they, they need to take hold of their season quickly. The Buckeyes do, or else things could spiral out of control just with how tough the conference season is. I, I think just a couple of other quick notes here. So, um, we mentioned that Rutgers uh, win in Evanston over Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern turned around after that performance, went to Ann Arbor and lost to the Wolverines. So I think, <laughs> Brett, you mentioned last week about, you know, we're inevitably waiting for just North this Northwestern story. To, we're, we're waiting for Northwestern to do its Northwestern thing. Um, and so, you know, oh, they go 0-2 this week. They're back down to 3-3 three and three in conference play. I think still relatively well positioned, I think, you know, for a tournament bid. But I think, you know, you're, you're a Northwestern fan. You know, now you're facing a little bit of adversity in conference. And, you know, and, and in particular, I, I would actually say it's probably their defense that let them down um, in these two losses more than anything. So um, watch out. I think you keep your eyes on this team, particularly to see their resolve, um, especially with, Chris Collins' job potentially on the line. The last team we wanted to talk about before we get to the preview, though, are these Iowa Hawkeyes, who they won a wacky, wacky game against Michigan on Thursday where they were down by seven points with with under two minutes left. And there was a four-point play that sent that game into overtime. Iowa ended up winning in overtime. Um, Then they handled Maryland after that. Um, This team was literally left for dead. Um, they had losses in late December to Eastern Illinois and Nebraska, which we chronicled. Now they, they look like this high-powered offensive team that's playing a little bit of defense, too. I mean, what the hell's going on here? And they're doing it without Patrick McCaffrey, too, who has who has taken a leave of absence from from the team. So we hope we hope everything's OK with with Patrick. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it this really doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know. I, something will eventually come back to bite them in the ass. Like you, you shouldn't be giving up 89 points to Indiana, um, an Indiana team that cannot shoot and is missing two starters. Um, and you know, obviously the, 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 the win against Michigan was, was stolen basically out of thin air, uh, just by virtue of that, that very bizarre ending. Um, but then they took control in overtime and won by nine points, which is indicative of a team that really doesn't give up. So, yeah, the defense is still a little bit worrying, but I, I mean, if you're scoring that many, if you're scoring like that, then it, it doesn't really matter at a certain point. Um, we may we may need to extend another podcast apology to Philip Rabrachov. We're, we're we're monitoring the situation, but uh, I'm not ready to make that call just yet. But I mean, Chris Murray is is every good as adver- every bit as you know people hoped he could be. 
Um, and they're getting, I think the biggest part is Peyton Sanford really kind of coming alive these last couple games. He's, he's was really mired in, in a pretty terrible shooting slump for, for a good part of this season. Uh, but has broken out really in a big way, uh, especially against Rutgers in Michigan, where he had 22 and, and 26 respectively. Um, after, you know, having a couple scoreless games, uh, you know, as conference play got started. So I think that they're getting offensive contributions. It's just a question of whether their defense is going to actually hold up when, when they really need it to. Yeah. And I think for the statistical junkies in there, Chris Murray has now taken the lead in the conference scoring title race over Zach Eady. He is now Averaging 21.4 points per game. It's slightly ahead of Zach Eady at 21.3. And he's doing that while averaging nine and a half rebounds a game too. So um, yeah, indicative of just how much he's carrying the team. Um, And I think at at some point down the, at at some point later in the show, we'll have the, who is more impactful to Iowa, Chris or Keegan debate. But I guess Chris needs to win some sort of, conference championship before maybe we can even have that conversation all right onto the preview we'll try to do this quickly brett do you want to start us off with monday yeah let's do it um so i think i think contender for game of the week is looking at uh purdue going to east lansing uh to take on michigan state um i mean in on paper this is a game where ed should really just really feast um because the backup like Sissoko's not a bad defender but the backup bigs that Michigan State has been rolling out have not been really up to the task especially defensively it's going to be a game where you're going to need another big big Joey Hauser and Malik Hall game um and I'm interested you know I think it's another interesting road test for Purdue right like I'm interested to see Fletcher Lawyer and and Smith um how how they play in in what should be a pretty pretty hostile environment um and yeah I think I think you know these are two teams that are playing really well right now, and uh, there's, there's, it's going to be a fun one. I would, I would highlight that one on the calendar for, for today when this podcast drops. Then we have Illinois going to Minnesota. Obviously, Minnesota's trying to, uh, you know, see if they can get a little bit of momentum going. I think Dawson Garcia is really playing well and uh, should look to attack Coleman Hawkins a good amount. Um, Illinois, it's going to be, you know, just keeping, keeping the consistency rolling, um, not losing this game. They really don't want to lose this game. Um, Still road game, still still going to be tough, but I, I think all, almost all of the matchups favor the Illini, and they should be able to take care of business. All right, on to Tuesday. There's one game on the schedule in the conference. The Penn State and Nittany Lions head to the Cole Center in Madison to take on the Badgers. I think this game, so we talked about Tyler Wall and the impact of his absence on Wisconsin. Um, it, it, this is actually probably a game where you don't, you don't need the big body as much just because Penn State lives um, on the wing with their sort of combo guard slashers that are really good in the one-on-one. To me, Wisconsin's desperate. They're on their heels. This is about how much they can clamp down, play defense, hold these Penn State playmakers to low shooting percentage, and grind out kind of a, a low-scoring game while they might still be a little bit hobbled. Um, I'm looking at Wisconsin for how much desperation they play with as an indicator for uh, how much resolve they're going to have as as far as not letting their season slip out of control. Moving on to Wednesday, we've got uh, Ohio State at Nebraska. Um, 
this has to be the ultimate get right game for for Ohio State. And I think we haven't we haven't touched on it as much, but I mean, teams we really teams we used to look around the conference and say, oh, guaranteed win against Northwestern because they're terrible, or Penn State because they're terrible. Like those are definitely not guaranteed games anymore. I think Nebraska and Minnesota are are as close as it comes, and we've seen Nebraska kind of pull off. We've seen both of those teams pull off some interesting games this year. So nothing is going to be obviously guaranteed, but I think I think with with Zed Key back in the fold, this this will be a really interesting matchup in the post with with him and Derek Walker. But I think I think Sensabaugh is too talented for anyone that uh, Nebraska can throw at him. So I'm looking at him to have another another big night and and you know uh, guys like McNeil and and Thornton to get back on track offensively. Um, and then the the one of the ultimate clashes of styles when Northwestern heads to Iowa City on Wednesday. Um, obviously you, Northwestern the, the guards are going to be the key. And they're going to have to make sure to clamp down on defense. So it's it's going to take a strong effort defensively. You know, no no late game collapse for for the Wildcats to be able to pull it out. I think that they're going to have trouble uh, with with Chris Murray, like everyone else in this conference. Um, but if Adige can can have a big game, and I think he should be able to, given Iowa's defensive capabilities, Northwestern is more than capable of of coming out of out of there with with an upset. On Thursday, we've got a Fascinating four-game slate. So we'll start with Rutgers taking on Michigan State. So um, Michigan State's in in a, a really um, heavy part of their schedule right now. Um, Brett talked about their earlier matchup against Purdue that takes place on Monday. Uh, they just went to Champaign. Uh, they, they, they went to Champaign. They had to go to Madison. So th- th- this game, I, I'm actually wondering – um, what Michigan State's going to kind of have left in the tank. Um, and I think this is a game where, you know, you're facing a hot Rutgers team. They're, they're going to match Michigan State as far as defensive intensity. Um, and I, I think Rutgers has proven that they're comfortable really going anywhere and winning. Um, I'm, I'm going to look to see um, whether Michigan State looks like they have tired legs um, and, and who kind of imposes their will more. Um, this is definitely a gettable game for Rutgers. So, um really interested to kind of look at pace of play and physicality more than anything on X's and O's standpoint. Um, the second game we'll talk about is Michigan taking on Maryland. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it, this is a rematch of a game that took place a couple of weeks ago um, where Hunter Dickinson really dominated and was able to impose his will on Maryland's um, lack of size. Uh, Maryland did not shoot well in that game. I'm looking for them to come out of the gate, just to, given that this game's in College Park. Um, you know, we'll see if how their playmakers, you know, and come out and shoot the ball. Um, you know, Michigan's kind of had an up and down last couple of weeks, but you know their offense is really kicking into gear. So I'm I'm looking at this game at you know for a potential shootout factor too. Um, I think we've we've talked about this a couple of times as well. Michigan's non-conference. Um, resume was not good and they kind of need to find they need more than just a hold serve at home um, in conference play to make the tournament so this is an opportunity to pick up um, even though Maryland hasn't looked like the strongest team in Big Ten play this would be a quality resume road win um, for for them to kind of help their their tournament chances Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at there I've also got Purdue going to Minnesota I don't know that there's that much you need to, I think, pay attention to there other than the the fact that this will be, I think, Purdue's second, you know, road game in a row this week. 
Um, especially coming off what's going to be an intense Michigan State game, I wouldn't be shocked if they start a little bit slow, but I'd look for Edie to impose his will um, and Purdue to do its thing. Um, and then finally on Thursday, we have Indiana heading to Champaign to take on um, Illinois. We, we know that Indiana is a little bit shorthanded and that Illinois has kind of kicked, kicked things into gear. Um, you know, we'll, we'll look to see kind of that Trace Jackson Davis Dane Danger matchup in the in the post. I think you know Jackson's the imposer, but Dane Danger's been playing really really well. So we'll see if kind of they can be contained there. And then um, it, it's really about Illinois being able to continue to get out a run, um, get in transition, shoot threes. Um, they'll have the matchup on the they'll have the matchup advantage on the wings for sure. Um, and so it's gonna make it's gonna be about making sure that that athleticism shows. Um, and they can get Shannon on the move, Mayer, open threes, um, and, you know, Epps in the open floor where he can be a playmaker. And then heading into Saturday, uh, the first one we want to talk about is Wisconsin going to Evanston. Uh, and yours truly will be at that game, so come say hello if you will also be there. Um, if if the Penn State game isn't a must win, and Steve kind of alluded to this, then this Northwestern game is absolutely a need to have it for Wisconsin. Um, you know, especially pending health of Tyler Wall. But you know, this is this is a game that's that's winnable for both teams. Um, and it will definitely come down to to guard play for for Northwestern. Uh, and then making sure that Stephen Kral gets involved for Wisconsin. I think that. You know, Nicholson's not a bad defender, but Crowell has has really shown growth offensively the last month or so and should be able to to feast in the post um, against a not very uh, a, a pretty thin northwestern front court. Um, and I think, you know, with with Chucky Hepburn will need to get it going. I think the, just entirely the, the Badgers just got to see some start, some shots start falling. They're still getting good looks. Um, they just got to see him go in and let confidence go from there. Um, then you've got. Uh, Nebraska going to state college. Um, it's going to be one where Penn state should be able to get all the open shots they want, even with Nebraska trying to slow it down. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Jalen Pickett to take advantage of, of, uh, Nebraska's smaller guards in the post, especially if, if Penn state gets up and Tommy Naga has to play a lot. I, th- I could see that being a matchup that Michael Shrewsbury really likes, uh, likes doing. Um, and then we've got Iowa going to Columbus, um, you know, again, two teams kind of trending in opposite directions. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see again, if, if Ohio state's offense can just keep up, um, to say, to say nothing of their, their again, pretty solid defense, uh, you know, trying to slow down Iowa. It's does not really seem like they have anybody for Chris Murray. So I think he could be a huge problem. Um, and then just at the same, at the other end of the sense of will be a huge issue. I project a lot of points in that one. And then finally, a three-game slate on Sunday. So first of which, we're going to talk about Michigan State heading to Bloomington to take on Indiana. Um, as referenced a couple of minutes ago, I think both of these teams are going to be coming off of emotionally intense games earlier in the week. Um, this is a great opportunity, I think, for Indiana to pick up a quality win and continue to you know, I think I think build momentum, especially if they if they struggle in Champaign. This is a good opportunity to rebound. I'm I'm actually looking more towards Michigan State's guards. We've talked about how guard and Tyson Walker, you know, I guess, and Malik Hall for that matter. I I don't think Indiana, um, when um, undermanned from an injury perspective, has the has the horses to match up with with um, 
Michigan State's playmakers on the perimeter. So I'm looking for Michigan State to maximize their advantage there. But um, given this, this is a home game for Indiana, I look for their role players to step up. Chase Jackson Davis will probably do his thing. Um, but they, yeah, they, they have to find a way, I think, to, to grind this game out, especially just given the sort of tough stretch that Michigan State's going through from a schedule perspective. I've also got Maryland going to Purdue. Um, I think we always talk about with Maryland how they just, you know, their, their lack of size hurts them um, when they have to take on dominant bigs. And, you know, they'll certainly be stress tests um, in that regard, you know, trying to slow down Zach Eady. Um, I, I, I don't see um, much of a way that, you know, Maryland can hang with Purdue unless um, like Dunta Scott you know, unless Dunza Scott has a big game and Julian Reese um, or, or, or Jameer Young can knock down some threes. So um, look for them to try to spread spread Purdue out so they can create those opportunities. But that's going to be a really tall task getting to Bloomington. Um, and then finally, Minnesota heads to Ann Arbor. Uh, that's can't lose game for Michigan as they kind of try to tread bubble water. Um, so they, they, they dominated the, the, the Gophers earlier in the season. Um, in Minneapolis. So we'll look to see, uh, to make sure that, you know, they don't take them lightly and um, they should be able to, you know, that, that shouldn't be a close game if um, Hunter Dickinson shows up and Jawan Howard has the team prepared. Um, that is it. Um, I know we went a little bit longer than usual. So thanks for sticking with us. A lot going on across the con- conference um, and should be a jam-packed week of, of action this week. We'll be with you again, as always. Thank you for tuning in um, and see you guys next time.